I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome to the Storytelling Lab, where we break down how to get to the heart of your story and the hearts of your audience to leave the greatest impact possible. And now here's your host, a filmmaker and competitive storyteller, Rain Bennett. What's up, my beautiful people? Welcome to another episode of the Storytelling Lab, where we help you break down the art and science of storytelling. This podcast is a six-second stories production. Six Second Stories is a video marketing agency that tells heartfelt stories to help you maximize your impact and inspire action in minimal time. Check out more about what we do at SixSecondStories.com. We have a very special episode of the Storytelling Lab for you today. For the past few years, yes, I said years, I have been working on a film. You may or may not have heard about it if you listen to the to the show. A film in development called Finding Croatoan, Solving America's Oldest Mystery. So if you aren't familiar with that film project, it's a documentary about a group of people in eastern North Carolina who are trying to solve America's oldest mystery, which is the lost colony of Roanoke Island. I don't want to give you the whole history lesson right now. You can find it out. In fact, we have a 60-second version of it online, the lost colony, the history of the lost colony in 60 seconds. But basically it was the, the first attempt, not the very first, but the first attempt at an English colony in the New World in what is now North Carolina, Roanoke Island in North Carolina. It was Virginia at the time. We had tried for a few years before, 1584 and 5, but this was the 1587 colony and we brought over 114 people I think but this time we brought women as well and the four, first and the first English born child Virginia Dare was born over here from that colony so long story short 
Uh, things were rough. The governor, John White, needed to go back to England to get supplies because of politics and war and storms. He couldn't make it back till three years later, and when he did, the colony was gone. All that remained was the word Croatoan on a tree and CRO on a palisade. I may have those two uh, flip-flopped, but what that indicated was where they went. So before they left, John White said, if you have to leave, write, on, write down where you went. Basically, leave me a note. And if you leave under distress, make a Maltese cross under it. There was no cross, so all signs pointed to that they did not leave under distress, meaning attack or war, but rather they were running out of supplies. And the Croatoan were a friendly people that they already had a relationship with. Croatoan was a Native American tribe on Croatoan Island, which is now Hatteras Island in North Carolina. Okay, so... There is a Hatteras Island native who is part Croatoan. His family is Croatoan. His name is Scott Dawson. And for 10 years, he's been working with archaeologists from the University of Bristol to discover the whereabouts of the lost colony. Because since then, in the past 100 years, the lost colony, this mystery, has become a, a, a thing of business, of commerce, of of storytelling, right? We, we see the Roanoke colony and Croatoan in American horror story and different TV shows. It's become this supernatural myth, mystery legend when in reality in Scott's theory and very much likely in reality, they went to where they said they went. They left a note saying, Hey, we went to Croatoan. That's where we'll be. See, John White wasn't able to actually make it there and confirm that they were there. And so we never heard from them again. But what Scott and his team have been doing the past 10 years has been have been proving that they went to Croatoan, modern-day Hatteras Island, and assimilated with the natives. And he can tell that, and I can tell that, because I've been following him when they do these digs, because you see 16th century English artifacts mixed in with 16th century Native American artifacts. Now, I'm not going to try to go too deep into the weeds to explain it to you, because that is not my realm okay i am not a historian i am not an archaeologist i just like cool stories and this is one of them so scott recently came out with a book a tell-all from the findings that he has found over the past 10 years which have never been released publicly they've done a few shows with the travel channel which i actually worked with them with uh, on on expedition unknown uh, History Channel and National Geographic i believe but they've never released their findings and so most people around the country have not even heard of the work that they've been doing until now. Scott released this book in June and within the first week it sold out in all the stores across the Outer Banks of North Carolina and is, is continuing to grow. And so I had to have him on the podcast. Now I've done a lot of interviews with Scott, but this story is about maintaining our history and our heritage and changing the narratives that so often are beaten, you know, in our heads via textbooks and other sources that, that we just assume are accurate when they're not always accurate. See, we've had a story that's been perpetuated by the forces, the powers that be for a long time. If you grew up in Eastern North Carolina, like I did, you just assumed it was true. It was a lost colony. You never know what happened. Well, Scott set out on a 10 year journey to disprove this and prove that in fact, they went where they said they went the whole time. 
He is super intelligent. He's been working single-handedly for a long time on this, and then he was able to get the help of an archaeologist, uh, Dr. Mark Horton, and they have been finding some amazing things. So this is a special episode. It is about telling the story of our people and changing the narratives that weren't historically accurate, but... This is a special one, and you're gonna, if you're a history buff, like this episode is for you, you're gonna love it. This guy knows his stuff. He's funny, he's a great character for us to follow. He does not mince words, but he knows his stuff. And you will be able to tell that as soon as he opens his mouth and starts talking about Native American history. So please enjoy my conversation with the author of The Lost Colony and Hatteras Island, Scott Dawson. I hope you love it. So, dude, how does it feel? The book came out about a little over a week ago, right? Right now? Is that right? Last I think eight or nine days ago. Eight or nine and days ago. And what's, what, what's been happening so far? I know a little bit about what's been happening, but, but tell me what's yeah. been going on. It sold out everywhere. It sold out online, sold out on Amazon, Barnes & Noble. Every store that had it sold out. My hometown bookstore bought 120 copies and sold out in three days. Awesome. So that's good. It's a good problem to have. What are your, like, uh, how are you feeling right now? I mean, I know you worked on it for a long time, but, but getting that sort of response so far, and I know that you're just starting this, you know, the idea is for it to grow beyond the local, local space, but like, how's that made you feel just the past week with people coming oh, to the book signings and everything? Relieved. <laughs> uh, okay. Because it's a weird year with COVID yeah, the book was supposed to come out months ago, and I just, you know, on the where we live on the Outer Banks is very seasonal, and right. every day that went by with tourists here where the book wasn't out, I was just feeling like, man, yeah, I could be who's gonna it, buy right? it? Yeah, right. And um, well, you can't do anything about a pandemic, so it is finally out and then i was a little worried like well you know how are we going to do book signings and some of the places just don't want to do it right uh which is understandable and then the ones who have done it it's like a weird way where i'm not in the bookstore and i'm off to decide somewhere and you know it i i just didn't know how that was going to play out because i've never done that before and um i figured it would really hurt sales but it didn't so, so you can't sell more than you have. So it, it didn't hurt. <laughs> no. So I, I haven't had the chance to read it yet. Obviously I'm really familiar with your story and what you've been doing, at least for the, for the you know past few years, not, not the uh, original or the initial few years, but what, what is essentially the book? Like what's in the book? You know, I know that I know what your goal is and what you've been trying to do, but, but what's the recap of the book for those listening that don't know they're somewhat familiar with the lost colony does the book say where they went? Does it talk about your, you know, your digs and the artifacts you found? Like, what is the book condensed down to? Yeah, well, I can, I can tell you some secrets we kept from you as well. Now that I have, <laughs> you know, I, in the beginning, I didn't trust anybody. I've been stabbed in the back so many times, but when we started finding good things, a lot of the people working with us that just turned I don't know, money does things to people, fame does things to people, and they all wanted to take over and and this and that. So it just like take over. Quietly kept some some uh, some 
big, big fines to myself. And, um, cause I learned the hard way. What did they uh, want to that, take over you when you said that? Well, okay. For example, you know, the guy from Nat Geo that was collecting all the information. I didn't give him all the information because I knew he was writing a book and he right. put one out before I did. It was a New York times bestseller and good for him. And he had enough in info in there to do that, but he didn't know. Yeah. He doesn't know what's in here. So, um, so what was the story that you tried to tell in this book? Because you've been working on this for a decade you can't include yeah. everything. So what, what's the story that you try to tell in this book? I wanted to tell the real story of the lost colony, of course. And for people that are sort of familiar um, with it, they know that there's voyages before the lost colony. Right. And I wanted to touch on the history of all of those voyages because they play a role in shaping the fate of the colony. Right. But to get off the colony for a second, I also, if I could crowbar in some Native American history, I wanted to do that because they are um, completely ignored. And just speaking about this particular tribe anyway, they cannot get away from the lost colony story. The only time you ever hear about Croatoan Indians is in relation to this story. Of so the their whole like history is basically lost yeah. for lack of a better word. It's been marginalized to prop up mythology uh, where their whole history has been reduced to just this funny word on a tree and no one yeah, knows yeah. what it means, which is of course a lie. And um, in the book, I go back to 11,000 BC with natives on the island from the oldest artifacts we found straight through. We go mm -hmm. through the diet, the shape of the houses, the weapons, the musical instruments, everything we found, everything that was written down by Thomas Harriet and people that lived with the natives and actually um, wrote about how they lived, their religious practices, all of those things. And I put that in the book as well. And that, to me, that was important. Some people might flip, skip those chapters, but to me, I wanted to put that in because that was lost. The Lost Colony was never lost. That's just a, a play. But the history of this tribe was lost because of the mythology of the Lost Colony. That makes so, sense. So what happened? Tell me a little bit more about the Croatoan tribe. Like what happened to those people? What what type of Na Native Americans were they? They were Algonquin, right? Well, Algonquin is a language family. Okay. They were Algonquin, yes. But, um, and there is technically a tribe in Canada called Algonquin, so it's very confusing. Okay. But there's language families. In the United States, you have three major language families, Sioux, Iroquois and Algonquin. Okay. So for the Iroquois, probably the most famous tribe is the Mohawk mm -hmm. or all the Great Lake, you know, Huron, all those. For Algonquin, the most famous tribe is probably Powhatan, like Pocahontas and all that. Okay. And um, these guys down in eastern North Carolina, at least as far south as Ocracoke, were of that Algonquin language family. And uh, there's 29 different dialects of that language. So, yes, they were of, of that stock. And this was kind of the Switzerland of the New World because not too far to the west, about where Williamston, North Carolina is, you start sure. getting Tuscarora and down in Newburn as well. And they're Iroquois. Completely different language, completely different language family, as different as Spanish from Korean, as opposed wow. to Spanish and Italian, which are in the same family. Yeah. For sure. Right. So totally different. And then from Wakakan, which is over south, um, 
down to Wilmington and, and bleeding into South Carolina a little bit. You have Catawba and different groups like that, and they're Sioux. And most people think of Sioux and tribes like out west because of the Lakota, and they are. Um, and they're just more well-known because of Crazy Horse and all that stuff, but totally different tribes. But they're all under these language families like English and German are in the Germanic language family. It doesn't mean it's the same language. Right, of course. It's just a really broad stroke brush. So when you say Algonquin Indians, that could be from Canada through, right. you know, to here, Got North it. Carolina. So, so obviously, like just in that three minutes or whatever you just talked, I mean, you you showed that you know more than than your average person by far about Native American just uh geography history culture all of that why is that something that's kind of has been important to you why did you spend time learning all that i know i mean i like native american culture was when i was a kid but i there's no way i could just spout off what you just did so obviously you've dedicated some time to it what what was the what was the the catalyst for that i've always um tried to keep in mind when i'm studying history that things are written by the winners hmm. and i'm not calling them losers but um, you know what I mean? Like there, you get the perspective, the historical perspective of whoever is dominant. And so I always make a huge effort. Anytime I study any war, it doesn't matter if it's some in the Caribbean or whatever. I always try to really search whoever lost and get their perspective on things. And, um, I think you have to, to make that effort is if you just go by what is taught, um, especially when you're talking hundreds of years ago, it has been um, filtered and uh, and kind of, I don't know the word for it, but you end up getting a very one-sided perspective for if sure. you just go by um, what you're taught in school. Mm. So you got to make the effort to do it and I just, I felt like um, here's a group of people that really don't have a voice. Um, Native Americans have a voice, but not these Native Americans, not on from this island, not these little tiny obscure tribe. They're gone. Um, there's no one left from that tribe. I mean, there's some people with a little bit of, you know, Elizabeth Warren level of, of Croatoan left in them like mm -hmm. myself, but they're not here to defend themselves and they're not here to promote their own history. And it feels um, sad to me. I feel like a, a, a duty to try to preserve something, to mm -hmm. get some of their pottery out of the ground and put one of those pots back together to try to uh, keep them from being forgotten. They're already lost. They've already lost everything they had, um, mostly to smallpox way after the colony but you know why not try to preserve some of their history when they played such a huge role in um, American history that's the first tribe the English met they brought everybody in they fed them and showed them love and kindness they played this big role in this beginning of our history and now they've just been reduced to a, a word on a tree and that's not right yeah, and that that now is even being turned into this like supernatural like American horror story thing yeah. too, which is like, you know, it's beyond just a mysterious word on a tree. Now it's becoming this like 
you know this yeah it's like uh associated with the cults and things and yeah yeah i got like, no problem with with fiction whatever but there needs to be a real voice too like okay go do your whatever with uh ghosts and all that i you know who am it's i kinda like, you know, not to but but there needs to be some book somewhere that tells the real story for anyone because yeah. people can watch the american horror story and they obviously they know that isn't real yes but if anyone but we don't have the know, real story to counter it with no we do so now. it's like it's like you know what I, I i'll give you an example of something similar i've been going back through during the you know the lockdown uh and watching like a lot of the marvel movies with my wife she hasn't seen all of them so she's seen like the big ones but not like the first captain america and things like that so captain america and, and all those stories set, set in world war ii you know all of this that's going on with with the villain red skull and whatever like that's that's set in a real time it's historical fiction but we don't think that captain america and that whole thing was a real thing we do know the real history but here we have this yes. thing that it's it's fine you know if they want to create fictionalized stories off of that historical fiction is something we've done forever but we don't have the actual story to counter it with so people just run with that and think that that's truth and it's it's not we do have the the real history it's just written in 16th century english which is almost a foreign language and um it's there in the archives and it's not in hieroglyphics in an underwater cave it's actually your local library it's just nobody reads it so i tried to consolidate all of the information and retell it in modern english so if anybody wants to know about the natives this book right here it has that too it'll clear up the lost colony of course but it's also got some native history in it and and if even if no one else cares i was going to put it in there and I would have switched publishers in two seconds if they didn't. Hmm. So you had mentioned earlier that that when you were talking about Elizabeth Warren levels of of Croatoan, you said that you you were as well. Yeah. Can you tell me the story of? Uh, I know you've told me before when we've yeah. talked about like of of how you came to find that out and like how your family got here, where where your where are your people from? Well, we we never didn't know. Um, okay. My people are on my mom's side are from Hatteras Island. And they've been there for ever. Um, the records for Hatteras Island go back reliably to about 1705. And then you have a few scraps of information, some uh, wedding license, a few land transfers earlier than that in the late 1600s. And my family is in that, and uh, as well as dozens of others. And then it kind of goes cold because mm -hmm. um, the records were lost. but. The natives on that island, the Croatoan, continued to live there well into the 1750s. So you had a about a century where there were um, Europeans and natives living together on the island, and the, the native population just steadily declined. What happened in eastern North Carolina, not just on the Outer Banks, but over in Pamlico County and the whole area, is smallpox ripped through in 1695 and wiped out 90% of the natives. Mm. Talk about um, COVID-19, like that's ginger beer compared to this pandemic, you know, wow. what they went through. And then there were some that survived after that, but they just intermarried with white and black and whoever was around to the point of they're not here anymore. As far as the Algonquin language is gone and 
their religious practices are no longer done there. They don't exist anymore as that culture. So you had mentioned earlier about when we've, we've, we've been given one version of history, right? It's in our books and, and that whether it may or may not be true, um, we, we were kind of, we kind of accept this singular narrative. So I know we've, I know that you were facing that. I mean, we have this narrative of that this colony is lost from Roanoke Island and we don't know what happened to them. There's a few theories, but like we just kind of left it there. That's what the book said when I, when I read them. So first of all, like, I want to know, you know, what made you be, I mean, bold enough, like what gave you the, 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 the feeling, the balls, if you will, to think that you could change that, that whole narrative that we've been fed for a long time. And then how, like, how did you, accomplish that how did you set out to accomplish that because i'm sure it wasn't easy i'm sure there are, were a lot of struggles but how does one change a narrative that society has accepted for i don't know how many like a hundred years more than that a couple hundred years i was talking about it one day i used to work as a historical interpreter at festival park which is a, a cool place you know they've got a replica ship and whatever people can come visit it and I was talking about it. I said, you know, what are we doing? Like, why aren't we telling the guests the truth? Because they give you this narrative that you're supposed to talk about. And they don't tell you to lie, but they just tell you to leave out like a lot. You know, it's crazy. And I wouldn't do it. And um, <laughs> they, I, it's just in my nature to poke the bear. And, and um, this girl like looked at me and it's like, I said, I'm going to go to Hatteras Island and dig them up. Because I know exactly where they are is not that's my family has always known that as well as everybody else on the island and i said i'm gonna dig them up i said and i'm gonna bring in like basically everything that happened i said i was gonna do it and i said and then i'm, I'm gonna make the play have to change and she looked at me and she's like that'll never happen and like that was my motivation i was like okay i was just talking but because you said that was such like a bitchy kind of karen way i was like it's on Wait, what, what year not, was I this i'm not lying like that right there i was like i'm gonna i will dedicate everything i have now to make this happen and she, that same girl ended up being a reporter later for the coast mm -hmm. and she came in and she remembered that and she apologized and she ended up writing one of the best articles we ever had on it that's awesome what and year was that when when you told her that initially it's like oh six yeah i went out a month later and found the the fort or 07. So I started digging. I started, I found a fort on Roanoke Island. I was um, just dove right into the sources and I saw in there, there if you look at um, Ralph Lane's account, who was a military captain in 1585 mm -hmm. slash six, and then John White, who's got a couple of accounts, there's enough clues in there that you can tell the fort was on the west side of Roanoke Island on the north end, not the east side. And I knew that the what they have is Fort Raleigh. They built it in the 50s for tourists. It wasn't actually there. People visit and they think, wow, this has been standing here for that long. No, they built it. They never actually found it. But they talk about watching the fires of Dasakamonopo, which is Man's Harbor, which is the mainland west of the island. And you can't see the fires unless you're on that side. And there are Civil War accounts. The guy named William Darby from uh, the north talk about camping on Fort Raleigh 
And they said that they found it when they walked south from Weir's Point, where they found the abandoned guns of the second North Carolina. And I knew where those guns were because I found them too. Uh, they threw them in a creek before they surrendered. Wow. Anyway, that's on the west side of Roanoke Island, northwest side. So if they walked from the fort north to that um, creek and found the guns, then I'd, all I had to do is go to that creek and walk south. And I did that, and I did a Z pattern as I was walking south to cover the whole thing. And I ended up finding this ditch, and it, um, I took a kite string and tied it and walked it around the ditch. And it's the same shape as Jamestown. It's a triangle, and it has those big circular uh, bastions on the side, like those big Mickey Mouse ears, and it's um, 550 feet. So I did that, and then I told the um, Outer Banks Sentinel about it and a couple other newspapers, and they um, they ran like a little story. It's called Fort Raleigh Found, question mark, or something. There's uh, me squatting by the thing. They invited the Park Service to come look at it, and the park service told me they were going on a Thursday. So I called them on Wednesday to see what time they were coming on Thursday. And they said they'd already been. And they put out a smear piece and said they didn't think it was anything. And they admitted it had to be man-made. Like they didn't know what it was. And they just threw out like a bunch of theories like Freedman Colony, Civil War, this and that. And they, they thought maybe it was a Civil War fort. But I already know where all the Civil War forts on Roanoke Island are. And that's simple because the maps are pristine and right. it hasn't changed that much. And I already know where those, so I know it's not that. And then come to find out years ago, somebody found a coin from the 1570s at Adler Creek, which is where that fort was. So that, you know, I, I don't know. We haven't dug on it. We haven't touched it. I have taken the archeologist over there and they surveyed it. Uh -huh. They kind of joked about it because, um, you know, it's right across the street from the fake one and it, uh, whatever, but. So wh where, where does that stand now? Like, is it recognized as anything? No. And because it's on park service land and you can't touch it. And I just, I said, you know, whatever. Okay. I found this fort that is probably it. If you don't want to investigate it, I'm not going to waste my energy on it. I'll just yeah. go to Hatteras and dig up the colony. So, all right, and, let's, let's pause there for a second. So you had this conversation with the girl at Festival Park. She yeah. said the thing that lit the fire under you. <laughs> she said that'll never happen like, like I was a, a dreamer. Right. And so within a month of that conversation, essentially, you, you, you went and you found what you no, think is. like 10 days. 10 days you went and found what you yeah, think is, I, is fort raleigh right okay so at that point now you're, you're going to to try to find something bigger you're not just trying to find a fort you're trying to track down a, a quote-unquote missing colony what i want to try to figure out is like where the hell did you even start like how do you what's the first step what's the third step what's the 23rd step you know like what was the process and at that point in your mind like now you can look right. back and you can see, oh, this happened and we met Mark Horton and then, you know, but at that point, yeah. where, how did you start? I found Fort Raleigh. They didn't want to give it any love. Take me from there. I mean, they went and looked at it and all like they, some, okay, I will say this. Some of the park service guys were thrilled and very excited about it, but they weren't the high up guys. You right. know, the ones that were there were and a little educated on the subject, they were uh, very intrigued by it. So I don't want to bash the whole, that's not really sure. fair. But whoever from Florida 
pooped on it and that's that. But um, I decided, okay, well, the first thing I should do is talk to old people who've lived on the island. Collect their stories. Yeah, I knew where Indian pottery and stuff was my whole life because we found it as a kid. And so I, I said, well, you know, let's try to find where the Indians were living um, and, and map that out. And then that would be a good place to start digging because some of the um, colony artifacts are going to end up in the Indians' hands, right? I didn't know at this point they had assimilated and were living in the same place, but um, spoiler, but <laughs> I knew okay, if nothing else, we'll get some cool Indian stuff and we can um, put that on display and that in and of itself would be worth doing. So I kind of started with that and I talked to to a lot of people and I talked to a lot of people I did construction and and I had done construction myself. I already knew several places, but I learned about probably 30 more by talking to people Um, and not just on Hatteras, but in Ocracoke too. There's a man, he's dead now. His name was Earl O'Neill. He's part of the Manhattan Project. He's one of the smartest people I've ever talked to. I learned more sitting in his house one afternoon than, you know, like years. Of did reading. you record these conversations or how did you document them? I should have. Um, <laughs> I didn't because a lot of people don't want to don't want to be recorded. And mm-hmm. um, he didn't really know me, but he took me to lunch. He started talking to me. I mean, it was more like like World War II stuff and yeah. all that, but I learned a lot from him. It's I so learned important. a lot about the inlets and about the, the I, I needed to not just focus on history. I needed to look at geology yeah. and, and expand. So I started hunting down the people that had that knowledge so I could it's learn so, it. It's so important to, to capture those stories, especially – with people from from a generation you know if they're if they're getting close to the to the end of their lives they're 70 80 90 years old especially yeah. in a place like the outer banks which is so unique and what it was like in 1920 versus 2020 is is vastly right. different you know my family's from down there too we've talked about that and i tried to capture my great uncle's stories um but he was a little too far like he was sharp as attack for a long time he lived to 103 right. years old and I tried to get this about 97. He had just started to get to where he couldn't stay focused for very long. And, and he was putting too much pressure on himself. And I'm like, ugh, it had been five years before. and Because I was just starting my filmmaking career. Uh, if it had been five years before, I could have documented like some of those great stories. Because then once they're gone, they're gone. Once you've got yep. Nag's head like it is now and the, the, the original Islanders are gone, those, those stories are, are long gone. And I, I see this happen. A lot of people now that video is so accessible are really yeah. trying to capture the stories of their grandparents and great grandparents generations before it's too late yeah. for something like the island that's so separated from from the mainland yeah that's, that's crucial so and, you, and a lot of the natives are being pushed out by yeah. development like like any coastal area so my grandmother's 91 and she's still with it she still could probably beat me in chess you know is she the one that i interviewed um, that we interviewed you did, but her older sister, mm-hmm. who is not alive anymore, Orman, Mary Orman Fuller. She well, that's started, a pretty popular name in Eastern North Carolina. Well, she, yeah, it's after Blackbeard's last wife, which is yeah. 
our relative, but that's a whole nother, yes, whatever. Yes, yes. <laughs> that's a whole nother so, podcast. Yeah. I, I, um, she started the Hatteras Island Genealogical Society. Wow. She started it 50 years ago. So she, for her to go back, it was like a little easier, you know, back mm -hmm. then. And, and she worked with these other group of women who wrote a book called Our Sacred Heart, where they wrote down every single gravestone on the island, every wow. single one of them. Now, there's some wooden ones you can't read, and they just yeah. said where they were. Can't read it, you can't read it. And she, she went and spent 40 years and you, on genealogy, That's okay? Crazy. Not just family history, like everybody's family on the island, not just ours. And they were in these three-ring binders that were twice the width of this. Mm -hmm. It would just say midget or Scarborough or whatever right. the common names are. And they were a whole room of this that she had done. So she also got the locations of the windmills and like the deeds and all that mess. There was more in her house than at the courthouse. I swear and, to God. And you had access to all that information? Yeah. And no one else did. Whoa. So <laughs> I didn't know that. I mean, my, anyone in my family could have asked her, but yeah. like no one did. So I went up there a couple times and then I borrowed a couple books from her and my grandmother had some, but the ones that she got, Orman gave her, mm -hmm. right? So Mary Orman Fuller, who's no longer with us, probably helped me more than anybody. So the first far, step, well, like besides the archaeologist, but as far as, far yeah. as finding where to go. Because you're still in the research stage at this point. Yeah, because the names have all changed, right? Yeah. So you get these land deeds and they'll say like the southern border was Goose Creek. Like that's the southern border of the land grant to the Hatteras Indians that the colonial governor Arthur Dobbs signed in 1759. And the eastern and western borders are, I'm not going to say, but I know what they are. And they're not that anymore. They're called different things. And I had to figure out, well, what, are, what is that? And all I had to do was ask her. And she told me. Dang. And then I ended up finding a map from the 1700s that had it on it later. But that took forever, and I was only able to find it because I already knew the answer, you know. So I don't know how she knew, but she'd been doing that forever. And uh, when I asked her where the colony was, she laughed at me and said, they're closer than you think, and wouldn't tell me if she was like that. But, Why? Um, wait, wait, wait. Why wouldn't she tell you? I don't know. She just – she was like that. But – she had the the amount of work that she did i don't think i could do you know so i was very 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 lucky to have somebody in my family that did that yeah that was that was that was helpful and then i felt a duty to her like i felt like okay she's done all this compiled all this which freaking no one is ever going to do again like the amount that she did so I got to do something with it. So how yeah. long was this process? Cause right now we're still kind of in the research stage. Like the girl at festival park said you could never do it. Now you're like, you've got a, yeah. new, a new journey that you're on and, and a, and a right. problem to try to, 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 okay. To, so, and you researched said for how long? Me, I got up and walked into the, they have like a little library at festival park, the, the history center, which I'm now on the board of is right next to, um, festival park so I went in there and they you know they have a lot on this topic and I I went in and I got a little distracted searching for pharaoh pharaoh's gold and some other things that I found accidentally walk but 
so I kind of did that for a while and um, found whatever that Ford is. And then, but I was living in Collington, which is up in, you know, about an hour from Hatteras. So I was kind of just poking around up here mm-hmm. and I found some Indian stuff in Collington and, and whatever. But I went, I moved back to Hatteras Island in 2008, I think. And when I got down there, I started focusing more on talking to my great aunt Orman and to uh, construction guys and like going out and looking for stuff in the marsh. And I got hundreds of pieces of Indian pottery and pipes and stuff by myself just doing that. And so I knew where to go as far as finding native stuff. Mm-hmm. But I didn't know the difference between like a mid woodland site, which is from 500 bc to what you know the super old versus the recent stuff all i knew was was indian and um when the archaeologist came in 2009 it was just dr horton and louisa penn who's a grad student and like some volunteers there were there was no um real dig we didn't have grad students little tiny hot tub size um pits and what now let's back up a little bit so Okay. Well, first of all, when did uh, uh, Mary Orman Fuller pass away? Do you remember? Oh, no. Um, what? It was a couple years ago. But okay, so she was still with you, still with you for She was still, yeah, she was okay. still there. So a- after um, you've, you've learned all this stuff and you've researched, what was the process in getting Mark Horton, who was with the University of Bristol, is that correct? Right. Right. What was the process of getting him here? I had been trying to get whoever i didn't specifically target bristol you were just looking up um, archaeologists yeah well i'd been talking to charles heath who had been involved with dr phelps digs in the 90s and he's a nice guy and whatever um but it i i was like well whoever actually gets up and comes down that's who it's going to be you know and mark did that he actually was at festival park for a twinning ceremony because mantio the town is twins with a little town in England, mm. whatever. And and he heard about me there because I worked there for like three years. Yeah, yeah. And I'd already made like a couple headlines for the um for the fort. People yep. knew who I was a little bit, at least over there. And so um he came down to Buxton and like I didn't believe it. I didn't think he was actually coming because Mark Horton's ridiculous famous. Yeah, he's like a TV personality and stuff over there, right? For BBC. Yeah, he's got his own show. Like he's he's the man. And I walked in and I thought, oh my god, it's Mark Horton. I better (laughs) find something. He came all the way down to Buxton. So wait, (laughs) at this point, did you did you have an idea of where you wanted to try to take someone, like a a site or an area that you thought was worth digging in? I had three. Um, So I actually found. 16th century olive jar shirts but i didn't know that wait what is that so olive jars are like the tupperware of the 16th century it could be spanish like it's they're um i have it hold on i'll show it to you all right i I found this i found a bunch of native stuff and then i found some bricks that I thought might be Tudor. Well, that's a cool story too. Um, 
this is not on display because I keep everything that I found personally separate from what we got on the digs. Mm -hmm. It just looks like they see this little thing. You can't really tell. Yep. Now it's focused. The other side. Yeah. Hold it just for a second, and the camera will focus. Yeah. Got it. It's a. You can't really tell, but it. It's like a sand, like tan color. Yep. Anyway. I got a couple pieces of this and I didn't know what it was. I, it was all mixed in with the Indian stuff. And I was like, you know, this is a, a rare one that I find sometimes and it doesn't really match anything that I've read about Indians. And they're like, cause it isn't native. That's an olive jar and blah, 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 blah. And so they're like, where did you find that? And I found that in Hatteras village, but I told them, I said that, where I got that is so flat. I don't really think we could do a dig so that we kind of looked in that area and, and, um, they said, man, this was, this probably was a massive native site because it goes for over a mile. Like just, you can just pick stuff like you're picking shells off the beach, Crazy. but it's been just utterly destroyed by, um, a certain development <laughs> and uh, that had just gone in and, um, you know, it was ruined. And I said, well, don't worry. There's there's two more sites, one in Frisco and one in Buxton. So we looked at one in Frisco, and it was fantastic. It's the biggest midden in North Carolina, and a midden is uh, like a dump for Indians. So it's just mostly shellfish, mm -hmm. oysters, and, and trash pile. But it's also got all, all everything else. All there's smoking pipes. It's all just whatever they threw away. They did have dumps, and um but it was all mid woodland, which is cool in and of itself. But that, that village had come and gone mm. long before anybody from Europe came here. Right. But that's still neat. And then we went down to Buxton and holy, oh man, dude, we, it was like, couldn't be better. It, wow. Perfect sequence of stuff starting from um, 1780s and getting like French pistols and gun flints and then went into 1600s and you're getting these uh onion bottles and all that like the stuff that you see on pirates of the caribbean wow. like the black like all that every freaking everything and then all the way down we got to about right around 1650 and i was like this is it man we go like one more foot we're gonna get into 1500s and it started getting more and more native the farther you got back and then bam we hit skeletons so everything stopped and the stress level went and we had another pit going like over the hill and I left and went to that other pit where we're just get, pulling out like stuff from 1740s or whatever. And, and I just went over there and played with that stuff because they were getting uh, stressed out. It was a during hurricane Ida. So the pit was filling with water. And they had found people in the bottom of it. There was what does that jawbone came out? What does that mean? Like, and what were they stressed well, about? When you find bodies legally, you have to like make sure that it wasn't somebody got murdered. And yes, like last so year, you can't just you have to like call the authorities or something. Yeah, you have to tell the state. Now we knew that it wasn't a recent thing because that layer cake's undisturbed. Yeah. And when you dig a hole and fill it back in, you're never going to get those stripes perfect right you're going to disrupt the the the, right. the layers okay yeah right. I follow and you. it was under but you still have to like by law photo it and everything and 
And um, they actually sent those bones to the state of North Carolina. They were disarticulated. So it wasn't like a person sitting there. It was just a big pile of bones. There's three people ended up being. Um, uh, one of them was a child, which when they, they had the baby teeth came out, I, yeah. I was just like, I don't want to be here. Huh, and um, That's heavy, man. Yeah, because I, I, I felt like it was my fault. I was like, man, I was just so gung-ho to do this, and then I didn't even think about that. Like, So, so let me – let me. well, pardon my ignorance on this, but wouldn't – for something like this, you're trying to find the lost colony and the lost colonists, wouldn't that be what you were looking for? Like, or, you know, I didn't understand oh, yeah, the gravity I'd of rather, it. I'd rather just find, like, their tools, you know? Like, I didn't, just because it's I heavy to, just, like, unearth a body. Yeah. Yeah, and especially a kid and um yeah i just i just felt like man no matter how bad you want to know a thing it's you shouldn't disturb someone's grave mm. but we didn't know that they were there like yeah. it's not like there's a headstone or something and um you know mm. that's so whatever but, came of that like they sent the bones well, off you said what happened is we couldn't go any further so we didn't get to the 16th century that year but they saw enough that they were like, my God, like this is worth doing a project. So they came back the next year and the same thing happened. And, you know, that take, they're only there for two weeks because of, um, you had to time it with the spring break of the college kids, all the grad students and stuff. So you get the labor and it's too much for one archeologist to do. Like you have to have, loads of people that know what they're doing yeah. and as this thing got bigger there was more and more and more uh experts that mark brought in from everywhere and um it, it got way more professional and, and it was a much larger scale and and all that but those first like two years it was a little bit disorganized it it well in retrospect compared to now it was disorganized and um you know it happened again and then the next year, uh, wait, what happened again? Well, they ran into bodies again. The, in another year? Yeah, the very next year. So we we had that pit, and we said, well, let's move away from that because usually the Indians, um, everywhere, bury their dead in a particular area. Right. So, and it, it's usually parallel to like a creek, which is what this was. So we thought, okay, well, let's just avoid the creek and go up. A little you know and um we did that and, and we also finished excavating that 1740s house mm -hmm. even though it had nothing to do with a colony it was like awesome archaeology for the, all the students to get to do and it's easy so we're doing that we had like kind of two digs going at once one digging up this house which had these big chunks of daub like this you can see where the um timber went in this is one of the pieces on the bottom uh and this was left after they backfilled so that's like foundation or something no this is the walls so you the, okay. you've got a a timber frame like mm -hmm. think about like an eight by eight like pylons yeah. or something mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. and they're they've got on the end of them they cut them like dovetails or wooden pegs like a puzzle and mm -hmm. knock them in with a mallet and then so that's the frame like a big rectangle got right it. And then you got this waddle of just branches and stuff like this that go between it and they paste it with this sand clay mixture, but on Hatteras, it's full of seashells too. <laughs> and they, they say there's no clay on Hatteras Island, which is not true. There's a ton of it. It's in Salvo. 
So there was a place they could get clay locally and it matches. So that's the walls of the house. And it looks like stone kind of, but it's actually clay. Mm -hmm. Anyway, the, the pit that was more um, away from that house and going a little older um, ran into skeletons again. And they found uh, um, some African wear, some colonial wear, which was where they were harboring a runaway slave, maybe. That's a whole, there's a lot of like side stories of things that we found on the way down. Is this all in, in the book? It's in the book. Okay. Um, you can't ignore it. Like, yeah, yeah, and, exactly. And when we would hit stuff like that, then you got to slow down and analyze and go back through. So who, and then, do you, who do you think the, the, the bones belong to? Like, who, what's your theory on that? Indians. Um, because. Croatoan. Yeah, they're for sure. The teeth of uh, Croatoans, they look filed. They did not file their teeth, but they had a very high, their diet was very high in silica, mm -hmm. sand, like from eating oysters and stuff. And, mm -hmm. and you find that in a lot of natives along the coast um, from back then, that their teeth are really flat. Their skulls are different than Europeans. Um, like you can tell the difference between an African skull or European skull and a native skull if you have the whole thing, mm -hmm. and we did. So you, you can tell there's different ways. Um, the the eyes are, are a little further. The eye sockets are further apart in proportion to the rest of the face mm -hmm. on African ones. And the cheekbones for the natives are higher. And, higher. Yeah. But is the teeth was the real thing. And the fact that it was a disarticulated burial, yeah. which, um, you know, is not a Christian burial or Right. or a Jew or Muslim. The the Croatoan had two kinds of burials. They had a flex burial where they buried people in a fetal position and tied their wrists together, which we found the next year. And um, they have been found before. Like, this isn't new. Okay. Um, and the, the flex burial, we don't know what, like, who got that as opposed to the other kind of burial, which mm -hmm. was they took everyone who died in a given year and they put them in a temple called a Machu comic and they um, kept them there until the summer solstice. And then they would take the bones out at this huge ceremony and they would burn cinnamon bark and all this whole, it's all in here. And they um, polished the bones of bear grease. And then they would like say this prayer to the great spirit and they'd bury them all together in a massive grave. And there was some order to it. They weren't just throwing them in a hole there. The largest one, the largest ossuary was in Hatters Village, and it was discovered in 1974 by a bunch of kids that were playing. Mm -hmm. And I interviewed one of them who's now, you know, an adult. And um, he said that the skulls were in rows, like dot, 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 dot. And then the long bones, the femurs and, the, and all of the arm bones were in a bundle, like, like a a letter I like the skull and then a bundle of long bones okay. and then ribs and feet and all that were in a pile off to the side. And it was just like, that's crazy. And there was 110 of them in this burial in the seventies. Now they did call in Dr. Phelps who dug in the nineties and he came in the seventies and saw that. And I asked him about it when he was still alive. And I said, was there both genders? He said it was both genders. I said, was it uh, all adults? He said, no. 
Um, so it had nothing to do with age and nothing to do with gender. And we found flex burials now of all genders and all. So it didn't, who knows like what determined which burial you got. Yeah. Um, and, and it didn't seem like rich or poor because some of the ones in this ossuary had copper and things that would have been to like a, a high standing individual, but the same is true for the other kind. Hmm. So that's some mystery that we don't know. Yeah. Um, anyway, after 2011, we were dedicated to move away from that area because it just seemed like too many burials. And I had a problem with it. A lot of people did not. And it, cause they've been doing archeology span forever and like, this is part of it. But I was kind of at that time, I it didn't, I didn't want to do it. So I found them somewhere else to dig. You got to get, um, property permissions and things. And yeah. there was a place they had wanted to go before and we didn't have permission and I got it. It was motivated extra by not wanting to be haunted. You know? <laughs> and so in 2012, we moved down the road and it was like way better, way, 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 way cooler. Um, which I didn't think was possible, but we started getting, um, those, you were there for some of that yeah. or, for that spot that's when we're getting those decorated um tidewater bowls those pipe bowls with like all the cool art on it and stuff yeah and i had seen those in the research from hag h-a-a-g um an archaeologist from the 50s had found some and i always wanted to see that so we got those and we started getting those um like loads of lead shot we had that before but this was like way more yeah and glass and then those glass beads started popping up and they were not at the other site those venetian beads from 1650 yeah and i knew that where phelps had dug in the 90s they basically found a 17th century site that went cold after about 1680 and the old theory on that old was that when the inlet closed they moved which yeah they did move about 40 feet. <laughs> there, there was a creek next to where he was digging that's not there anymore, but it used to be. And we found where that body was. And it's very easy when you dig on an old creek bed to know it used to be a creek. Because mm -hmm. we had the guys that um, know how to do that. So basically, where they were in the um, mid-1600s, where Phelps had found the famous signet ring in Gunlock, and we also found some 16th century stuff over there too. Um, but it's in a 17th century context. So it's like, how did it get here? Maybe they just brought some old stuff with them in 1650 with whoever is trading. So there's always like a little bit of a question mark with Phelps's stuff. It was cool, but it, you didn't really know. And all you had to do was go about 40 yards away. And there was another site from the 1500s that had nothing in it but stuff from the 1500s so it was a pure 16th century level and that that was like people were doing cartwheels because we found them at that point and what it looks like is so they're living with indians over in this spot a yeah and then you know the indians on the island we didn't know this yet but we'll learn this by looking all over the place about every 40 50 years they would just kind of shift over a little bit mm. because they're growing corn and they exhaust the soil europe did this too 
they just did it in circles. But the, on the island, you can't really. So they they just moved left to right on the road. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because there's the sound which they're dependent on. So they always got to be near the sound because that's where their weir nets are and fishing and canoeing and all that. So they just moved up back and forth along the sound. And it what's cool is you'll see like 1500s, 1600s. 1700s on top of the 1500s with a space of nothing in between where they'll sometimes you know where they'll go like they're here and then they move over here and they really like this spot so they go back to it <laughs> later and um it's confusing man for for people but you got to get a big look and that's why some of the times um that's why it's taking you were there it's like we had already found lost colony stuff yeah and you're probably wondering like well why aren't you still digging that place but it's because we had to map out where it was and and mark is ridiculously smart about this and he's like you got to get a whole picture scott or you, you're never going to know what's really going so, on so that that's essentially what you all have been doing for a decade is like and i know you've said this before is like you're yeah. not just trying to find an artifact you're trying to paint this whole picture to tell this whole gotcha. story right now you got it we already found the stuff seven years ago but we're trying to say, okay, well, what are the parameters of these Indian villages? How far do they extend? And how, and if you don't know, there might be some stuff in this end of the village that you really wanted to find and didn't even know about. Yeah. And you gotta, you gotta get a picture of how they're living. What was the population of the Croatoan? You know, would they have been able to feed a hundred people? Um, newsflash. Yes, easily. But you can't say that. You can say it, but you don't know that and can't prove that until you've seen the extent of their middens. And now right. we can say that. I was saying it anyway, but now <laughs> I can say it and, and have, have something to back it up. <laughs> what, what are um, what are some of the you know forces, or have you faced any obstacles in like getting this information out there? What are some of the forces that have worked against you? Because I know you've been working for a long time, and, and I know yeah. you've had some coverage on Nat Geo and and Travel Channel. Um, yeah. but it seems like this should be national news. I mean, maybe it will be now that the book is out, but, but what's, what have you been working against? Well, I, I was never a media whore. Like I never really, uh, people just kept telling me like, why don't you tell somebody about this? Sure. And I, I was just so paranoid about, um, people looting the site. Like I was really afraid that everyone would find out where we were and, and it, and I, <laughs> I even had like fake digs going on that people did know about. So they all thought we were down Rocky Rollinson and we weren't. And we're, you know, because I, I just didn't want some, all it takes one a-hole right. to go out there at night and dig a bunch of holes. and I, ruin remember, it. So I, um, I was really, really paranoid about that. Yeah. But now that we basically dug it all up, I'm a little more chill, but I, I just wanted to get to finish the project and we're not finished, but I wanted to get um, enough of it out of the ground before I really talked about it to anybody because I feared the site getting looted and I was afraid of competitors coming in and like offering money to dig on people's land and us getting pushed to the side and all that, all those different things that, um, could have happened, but I, 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 re I remember when I, when we were there filming that uh, more than once, I think it was maybe twice. Some strangers kind of wandered up onto the site, just kind of like, yeah, just see what you guys are doing up here. Like, in yeah. The, and we're like, we're putting in a septic tank, you know, <laughs> they, because 
screw them. You know, really, like I can't. I, they might be nice people, but I can't yeah, risk you can't, it. You, can't you know, risk sometimes if they were like really into it and they already kind of knew, we just bring them in. So, so do you think? Do you think the people put them on a sifter? <laughs> Do you think the people that have helped perpetuate this narrative that we talked about in the beginning that, that has kept going for a long time, that people just, yeah, hey, it's a lost colony, America's oldest mystery and all that. Do you think that people are ready to hear the news that you basically have to announce? Do you think they're, they're, they're ready to change the narrative that we subscribe to for so long? I think most people are. I think most people think it's really cool. I, I mean, obviously – the reaction on the island's been more positive than I thought it was going to be. And yeah, there, and, and we've been in some shows, you know, so there's a little bit of interest outside of the outer banks because of the travel channel and, and the other ones, but, um, shout out to Josh they, Gates. Yeah. Josh Gates was, <laughs> was cool. um, I, I, he was fun, man. Like yeah, I'd like to cool. hang out with him just anyway. You know? like, <laughs> um, but, I know well, that, like, because even I've had issues, you know, making the film with the people behind the play, like the Lost Colony outdoor drama. And I know you have too. They're on board now, man. They're tell they're me about like that. that. You mentioned it, but like, what's happened with them? They grew up. Um, <laughs> so I, I, it's never been all of them anyway. Okay, right. there's always been some people at the play that had some sense about them. You're just dealing with like a couple of pissed off actors and they're the most pretentious people on the planet anyway. But the ones that are in charge, they're not like that. They've been talking to me for eight years, like a little bit. And, um, and I've backed off them as a little as well. Uh, they're going to make it less racist, which is great. <laughs> um, if you, if you can imagine just anyone listening here, uh, taking white kids and um, painting them black, to play the part of some African tribesmen in a play, uh, how quickly that would get shut down. But they've been doing that for 80 years, the Indians. They've been taking some redhead kid or whatever, and they're like, here, put this brown paint on your face hmm. and, uh, and you know, go out there. Like, they, that's what they've been doing. And so they're not going to do that anymore. They said, we're not going to uh, paint white people anymore. We're going to use real Indians. I said, well, that's good. That's a baby step, like, that's some low hanging fruit that, that you <laughs> right. could uh, get like at least get rid of that. And I say, why don't you have some better roles for the natives too? Cause when you watch it, it's very dated and I understand it's made in thirties and, but it's 2020 and yeah, it's, it's man. like they kind of, I don't, we, I don't even, I don't want to bash it too much. Like with examples of what was wrong with it, but they are aware and they're changing it. So let's just focus on that. They're, and that, and they're the, and the play to, is, is one of the biggest, I guess proponents of the mystery. It's a whole system. It's a whole machine down there that has kept this alive because it's 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 good for the economy down there and tourists. Yeah. I get that. But to our point at the beginning of this conversation about historical fiction, it's like they're not mutually exclusive. You can have the real story out there and still, you know, have it be a you know have the kind of mystery and the and the fun of it, right? Be a part of the yeah. you know the local culture and heritage. I think what would be fun if they're going to do fiction with it just to irritate the, like those that are still racist, just have like a tremendous love story between natives and the colony because well, that ultimately is what happened. It they happened at it. some point. Yeah, exactly. And, and we'll never know what those relationships were like. We can just find here's an English house surrounded by native houses and all their stuff is together. Um, 
I just that would, I would laugh so hard, like because I I just I know how badly that would irritate certain people, mm-hmm. and um, and I I don't know I have a dark heart I guess, but <laughs> we've it already just, established it makes it makes me laugh like it makes me because they shouldn't be upset. Well, like, that's this, part of what Juan kept this... was right. He's yeah, what... he never even actually did anything. This what does is that just mean? Juan was right. Okay, Juan she's in the play in the fake version. He hated the English and basically they're going to come here and take everything we have and leave us with nothing. We should kill them in the cradle. And uh, he didn't say any of that in real life, but I put this shirt out there and, and like everyone thinks it's funny. The one, the people that get it are like, that's awesome. I want one, but some people get really upset. And, um, and I love that, you know, <laughs> it, <laughs> if I'm being honest, like, because they shouldn't be because one it didn't even happen it's fake yeah. he's not even he is a real person but the this launchies didn't he didn't do any of that like in real life he didn't kill anybody like right. he didn't do anything like that he just left like that's the only thing he did is he didn't want him he did not like the english but he didn't do anything to him and he didn't preach to do anything to him he just left left them and went home that's all they did you know in real life (laughs) so um i think we're probably about out of time now i mean dude we could go on for for a long time but just i I have one final question for you before we wrap it up you know is this a happy ending for you you've come out with a book and so far we're only a weekend i think it's only going to get better from here and you've gotten this story out there this obviously isn't something you can do for the rest of your life or is it i don't know but like do you feel like, and if not now, what will it take to feel like you've accomplished that mission that you set out on 12 years ago? When we get a casino in Hatteras and we name it the Dead Plover. What does that mean? Because the Park Service stole land from the people. And then they said, well, don't worry. We're going to make it a recreational area. So the adjacent land that we didn't steal will go up in value and you'll have this beautiful recreational seashore and everyone can enjoy it for free. So like, okay, cool. And then they turned around and they shut it down for four years. You weren't even allowed to walk out there because of a plover bird. And then they killed hundreds of thousands, well, not that many, but they killed thousands of geese and hundreds of raccoon and possum and mink and otter because they're a threat to the bird. And 27 businesses in Buxton shut down. Buxton only has like 900 people. So 27 businesses shutting down is- That's a lot. lot. And it it crushed the economy. And then they said there's no economic impact, which was a lie. And then they said that the animals they were killing were not indigenous to the island, which was true for the nutria, but all the other animals, guess what? We found them when we're digging. We find raccoon and possum every day. Every time we're digging as deep as you can go, even before people like they were here. So they lied about that. So if we do get recognition for the Hatteras tribe and then get a casino, I want to name it the dead plover. I'm kidding. Like I don't actually (laughs) want to pursue any of that, but, um, but that, that would be like the ultimate, you know, I'm pretty happy just that the play is going to quit painting kids, uh, white kids, Brown like that. That makes me happy. Um, I don't think I had anything to do with that. I think that's more George Floyd movement and, but I'm still, I'm happy it's happening and I'm happy that we found a colony and 
I think they're going to try to make the play a little more accurate. And I think that there is a resource now. If you go to Hatteras Island and you bring up the lost colony to anybody, they're going to yeah. be like, have you heard about this? And, and then people can go get it and, That's awesome. and learn about it. Proud of you, man. Uh, yeah, it's fun. You know, come on in there, whatever. Like you got to do something with your life, you know? I work as an EMT and, I, and everybody, but I just wanted to do something that would last way longer than me. Mm. You know? And I wanted my kids to have something like I, I have some big shoes to fill with my own grandparents and things. And my grandmother busted Nazi spies on the, you know, she's Taffy of Torpedo Junction. Like, how do you follow that? You, right. I got to do something. <laughs> well, I think you're doing a pretty good job, buddy. Like I said, I'm really proud of you. And I'm happy to have joined part of this journey with you, man. So um, good luck to the book. I'm going to do everything that I can to, to promote it. Uh, I actually wrote about you in my column uh, today that's coming out. The podcast will be out and um, uh, we're taking about a month off. It'll be out soon. So uh, yeah. hopefully we can just keep this rocket, you know, soaring, soaring yeah. upwards. I will say this is very informal because I know you and I'm sitting here in a t-shirt and I'm rambling on and run on sentences, <laughs> but I, I do know how to put on my academic hat and write, you know, oh, yeah, this, I've seen you. I've this, seen you. People read this and see this podcast that that guy didn't write that. But uh, I just, I don't feel a need to put on airs and I don't think you need a suit to tell the truth. So I just be myself. Um, but that doesn't mean that I don't know, don't know that world you know, that academic world I do. I just never bought into all of it. No, I think it's very clear that you do. And it's also very clear that you will and always will remain your true self. Yeah. But I, I don't think I couldn't do it. Like, no, no, I just we, we appreciate it. We, we I, that know you appreciate that about there's you. There's enough fake people in the world. There's no shortage of that. Exactly. So. All right, man. Thanks for stopping by. Great conversation. I feel like we could have done it for four or five hours. Feels like we did. <laughs> Take right. care. Take care, buddy. All right, man. See you later. I'm going to go catch some waves. Adios. My name is Rain Bennett. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed that episode, do us a favor and subscribe to the podcast. If you're already a subscriber and you're enjoying the show, give us a review and let us know the value that you've gotten from it. We love to hear from our listeners and learn about the benefits that they're getting from the show. That's what fuels us and that's what fuels the show. And if you've already subscribed and you've already reviewed it and you think there's someone else that would benefit from listening to this show, please, please share it with them. The more we grow, the more we can help you grow and that's what we're here to do. Join us next time on the Storytelling Lab. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, 
Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.